49er fans here? What's that other team? <laughs> uh, how many of you just don't really care, but it's a fun thing to do? Yeah. Actually, uh, I think the only professional football game that I have ever been to is a 49ers game. Because uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and playing high school ball, uh, periodically they would pull in people off the 49ers uh, to do banquets and stuff like that. And I remember going with my dad over to Kizar Stadium. That is two stadiums ago <laughs> from where they are now. And, uh, and I, as I recall, the stadium wasn't as nice as most of our high school stadiums now. And it was a muddy, muddy game. And uh, anyway, so anyway, you know who I'm rooting for today, and uh, it would be fun to see what happens. So <laughs> anyway, and I, I just want you to know, I've been praying for each of us that either are having people over or we're going to their houses uh, because something much more significant than hap- can happen than a football game, and that is that we get to connect with people, we get to do the main thing. We get to love God in their midst and to love those who we get to be around in the midst of the game. So that's always special. So I understand I created quite a stir this week uh, in the letter that I wrote to thank you for your giving. Because, and I want to apologize for creating the stir and giving you more credit than you deserved, I guess. Because in that letter, after an introductory paragraph to everybody who gave to what God's doing at Calvary here, it had this word, thank you for giving $8,524 to God's work in and through CBCHB. Now, I wrote this letter uh, thinking of all of us together. I didn't know, because I don't know what anybody individually gives, so that's the way I'm thinking I didn't realize the computer was going to take it and put our names on it and then turn it into a personalized letter that most of us read that figure and thought, wow, God's a real multiplier. I gave more than I made. This is pretty cool. I love the economics of God. Until we went down and downloaded our giving slip and then we realized, oh, man. So anyway, I just want to encourage you not to put this amount on your IRS form. And uh, so anyway, good old communication, it it bites uh, periodically, doesn't it? So uh, Camilla gave me uh, this morning, she realized what the music was about in here, and she brought a uh, living Bible, uh, the Reach Out Edition. Actually, she sent me one of these in 1974, because she'd been witnessing to me for almost two years, and... I just did not see a need. And she told me to start reading in the Gospel of John. And for a non-reader, uh, God was at work because I read. And it wasn't too far into the Gospel of John that the light bulb went on. And I remember getting down on my knees. I have no idea what I said that night. And I gave my life to Christ. And boy, has my life been different every since. And, uh, and the best is yet to come. That's the crazy thing about the whole thing. 
And so uh, we want to we wanna just remind ourselves again of this 2020 vision that God has for us. And I suppose last Sunday, uh, as we were in here, there were several family members in the Southern California area getting the worst possible news they ever could have gotten as a family member or family members had removed, been removed from life on this earth. And uh, just a, just raised to the whole social conscious. I mean, that's, that happens every hour of every day of every week. Somebody is finding out news like that. Many of you have been the ones to find out that news. But a race to the social conscious, I think, that you can be the greatest at any particular thing, and in a moment your life is gone and you're before God. And how frail life is, and how it can easily be just taken without any warning at all, and thus the need to live every moment as if it is our last moment. How to live prepared to die in our relationships with people and in our relationship with God. I mean, it just raised that to the whole Southern California national conscious, didn't it, last week? And that's why we gather together as church family, you know, week after week. That's why we get together in life groups, is, is it just keeps us ready to die, keeps us ready in our relationships here and in our relationship with God. And, um, and so I'm just grateful you're here. I'm grateful for the church and all the churches that I've been a part of over the years that have been so formative in my own life. And I am grateful that God has given us, uh, as Stephen said, uh, this major transition of putting God's Word in all kinds of languages that we can understand. Uh, the Living Bible was part of what God did during that time as Kenneth Taylor in a, in a desire for his kids to know God and the Word. He worked as in the printing shop at Moody Press. He was not a theologian, but he worked in the printing shop and he thought reading the King James Bible, my kids aren't getting this. So he spent his time taking the King James and putting it in a language that his kids would understand. You talk about a, a father loving their kids. And he had access to all these Bible scholars. And so he just leaned hard into them. And, and then somebody said, we should print this. He never, he never wrote it to be printed. He just did it for his kids. And then it got printed as the living Bible. It is a paraphrase. Um, but the Lord used it to save me. He's used it to save a lot of people. And Camilla still carries it and reads it. And at Life Group, she always got teased for having the heretical book. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun. I'd still do with that. And, uh, and so this morning, we just want to keep reminding ourselves of what God's vision for us is in 2020 and to have this 2020 vision and we sum it up in these terms. We go and develop devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Whatever else may happen, it's just another, maybe a more specific way of saying, what does it look like to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves? What does it look like to get the main thing built into the warp and woof of, of our lives? 
it is in, in this phraseology, we go and develop devoted followers of Jesus, and implicit in that is that we're developing in our own devotion to follow Jesus. And, and if we're about that, and something happens to me, and you never hear from me again until we see each other in heaven, man, I'll be on track, and so will you. And so it's, it's what we keep going after. Now, we have broken down what it means to be a developing uh, follower of Jesus into four areas that we think the Scriptures make clear. How's that for a confusing picture? <laughs> One is understanding who God is and living in that. That's that downward arrow. The other one is, is doing that together as other people. That's that horizontal arrow. The other is that we recognize that people need to know about who Jesus is. That's that arrow oriented outward. And it, the upward arrow is just our response of God is saying, wow, God, praise be to you. And, oh, God, you have given me more than I can ever understand. I need to live in dependence upon you, which is simply prayer. Now, we then have broken this down into these, knowing God and living our lives according to the Bible. The word knowing there is, includes cognitive, but it's a relational word. It's a relational word, and, uh, and it always has a cognitive part. And the illustration that I like uh, to, to bring this home is that, well, look at, look at someone sitting next to you. Don't look at me. Look at someone sitting next to you. Now, here's, what, here's, what, here's what's going on when you look at them. You can know a lot about that person by watching them. You can know that they like certain things and they don't like certain things. You can learn about their skills of what they can do. Um, you can learn a, a lot about them just by observation. But you'll never know why they do what they do. You'll never know what they really like doing. You'll never know what is going on inside of their head unless what? They speak and you do two things. You listen and you believe what they say. That's the only way that any of us know what's going on. And that's what it means to know a person. You watch, but you listen and you believe what they say. The same is true with God. We can look at this creation, and it can, it's very clear that there is a God, and we can learn many of His attributes by looking at creation. But we will never know why He created this this way, what is going on with it, why there is pain and torment, what He's done about that, what happens on the other side of this creation, unless He speaks. And the amazing thing is, He has spoken. And so what do we need to do? We need to listen and we need to believe. And as we do that, we know God and we live according to the Scriptures. That's what that looks like in knowing God. Now, God is not an individualistic God. He's a God who creates a family. Even He Himself functions in community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's just always the way He functions. And so He puts us together in family. We talked about this, engaging His family in God's church 
to become more like Jesus last week and how we get a new personal identity and we get a new corporate identity. And again, this is where uh, we become so much like Jesus is in this community of the church. And then there's this response to God of in all things praising God and depending upon Him in prayer. That, that just becomes a I can't help it kind of deal the more we grow in God. Uh, next week, uh, you're going to look at that. Uh, there's 30 of us, 31 of us that are going to be in Israel. You can just go, oh, that's too bad. But we're going to be in Israel. And, uh, and so Stephen and Brooks Van Dyke, Brooks will be preaching next week because this is very much uh, part of where his heart flows. And, uh, and music-wise, you're going to be enjoying and participating in the music of the nations uh, with Roberta King being here and Eric being here, right? Do I have that right? And, uh, and so that's, that's what will be next Sunday. So joining some of the other languages of the nations. This morning, though, we want to look at this whole aspect of organizing our lives to tell others about Jesus. Organizing our lives to tell others about Jesus. Now, if you look at these four areas, you'll recognize that all of us have different areas that are hardest for us. Sometimes it's knowing God and living our lives according to the Bible. Sometimes it's engaging in uh, church as God's family to become more like Jesus. Sometimes it's praising God and depending upon Him in prayer. Sometimes it's this one, organizing our lives to tell others about Jesus. I think for many of us, this is one of the hardest things to keep as, as just part of what we do. And so we want to look at it and just recognize that this is part of God's good calling upon our lives. So grab a copy of the Scriptures and turn over to Romans, the book of Romans. And there we are, if you're using the Bible out of the pew. Now, if, if we were going to go through the whole book of Romans, which we won't do, uh, we would see all four of these dynamics there, by the way. I mean, so much of it is written so that the, the Romans and we, uh, 2,000 years later, would know God and live our lives according to the Word. Uh, so much of it is written to a church body so they'll know how to interact and relate to each other. That's especially true in chapters 12 uh, through 16. Uh, so much of it is about praising God and praying. I mean, there's uh, beautiful doxologies in this book as a result of what God has done. But this morning, we're going to look at the particular part of the book of Romans that says, man, you've got to keep telling people about Jesus. You just have to organize your life to make sure that this is part of what is woven into what you do. And so, let's jump into chapter 1 in verses 14 down through verse 17. Let me read Romans chapter 1, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Let me pray. 
Well, Spirit of the living God, would you take these words that you uh, caused the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Rome 2,000 years ago, Lord, would you use them in our lives collectively and individually? Uh, Lord, would you help us to, to know more of the, the power of God that is, comes to us as good news and move us more into living in the power of God in this salvation? And, uh, and so thank you that you're going to open our eyes to see maybe just one particular thing this morning so that we can hear you and we can trust you and experience your power in that particular area of our lives. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, let me just jump in there. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, I am under obligation to both the Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now, uh, Greeks and barbarians are kind of two groups of people as he writes to this church at Rome, which of course was the capital, the most powerful, most well-known city in probably all of the world during his day. The Greeks were considered those who uh, had it together. They were the ones who had learned Greek language. They were the ones who had learned Greek culture. They were with it. They were the smart ones. They were the cool ones, whatever you want to put it. On the other extreme were the barbarians. These are people who had not learned Greek, and uh, they didn't know the customs. They didn't know the manners. They were barbarians. In fact, uh, because they didn't know Greek, uh, the Greeks, those who spoke Greek, would say, you're, you're speaking bar, 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 bar. I don't understand what you're saying. That's why they were called barbarians. And so they were the uh, hicks, if you will. They, they, were the, they were just the lowlifes as you looked at life. And, and so Paul says, you just need to know, I'm a debtor. I'm an, I'm, I live with an obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians. In other words, to all people. He'll include the, the Jews down here in just a moment. And so the Apostle Paul says, I live as a debtor. I live in obligation to all people. Now think about that. Why did Paul see other people and say, I owe you. I owe you. Why did he why did he have that view of other people? He didn't look at them and say, You owe me. He looked at them and says, I owe you. Why? All right, so he was very aware of what he had received, not because of he deserved it or he had worked for it. In fact, he'd run from it and he'd put to death at least Stephen and he had persecuted other people because they believed it. And so, in the words of Jesus, freely you have received what? Freely give to other people. Or as Jesus would say in John 3.16, for God so loved who? The world. The world, whether Greeks or barbarians or Americans or Jews or whatever it happens to be. And, and so Paul had this unique understanding that, that was the understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, he said, I did not come to do my own will. I came to do my Father's will. And he saw himself as a debtor to people. Boy, that's a mindset for you. That's a mind shifter for you. 
So just think about looking at your neighbors around you. Do you see yourself as, as owing them something? We should. We should. We should feel like and we should look at them as if we owe them something. We are debtors to them because of who Christ is and because of having received what we've received. And if you want to take it one step further, we have a calling from God to take this gospel to all people. So God has placed us in this place of owing other people, being a debtor to other people. In fact, he goes on and says, I'm not just a debtor, but verse 15, he says, I am, what's the word there? I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I am eager. I'm not just a, oh, I owe them. He says, I'm eager to do this. I have a passion to do this. Now, what in the world would possess a person to view themselves as a debtor to other people and to be eager to pay the debt? Because he had become convinced that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. That's what he was convinced of. That's what he had experienced. And he understood other people didn't get it. They didn't get it. And he owed it to them to tell them, to help them come to understand that. And notice he says the gospel, this good news of what Jesus Christ is the power of God to what? Salvation. He understood that every single person that has ever been born is living under the power of God. They exist because of the power of God. They are in the circumstances that they're in because of the power of God. And he understood that because they were born as a sinner and because they had sinned, they were under the justice of God, the powerful justice of God. And if they did not hear the good news, and if they did not repent of the good news and, and experience the power of salvation, they would experience the power of damnation for all of eternity. Nobody escapes the power of God. And he felt an obligation to make sure, and he was eager to tell people the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done because they could come out from underneath the condemnatory justice of the power of God and they could come out from underneath that and understand and experience his salvation. He wanted for them what he had experienced. And so he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And this is a man who knew something about being embarrassed. This is a man who knew something about paying a price for telling other people the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember, he was part of the religious elite. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees by birth and by training and by choice, and he turned his back on all of that, 
and experienced the ridicule and the rejection from the elite religious people when he became a follower of Jesus Christ. He knew what it meant to give up what the world felt was important and valuable and experience the shame that comes with that. He knew what it meant as he went into places to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be beaten and to be abused and to be kicked out of town. Sometimes he was taken out secretly. Sometimes he was laughed at like in Athens. Philippi, he was beaten and imprisoned. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was called a fool by the church in Corinth. He was stoned in Galatia. I mean, this is, this is not some guy sitting in a classroom lecturing about something. And he said, it's all worth it when a person comes out from underneath the condemnatory power of God and experiences the salvation of the power of God. It's all worth it. I owe it to people. And I'm eager to tell them this good news of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done. And he goes on in the rest of the book to talk about the power of God to save. That's what the whole book of Romans is. And so he goes through, and he says the gospel can change everything for a person. Do you believe that? It can change everything for a person. He goes on in these first three chapters up to chapter 3, verse 20, beginning of verse 18 here. And he says, you need to understand that you're under the justice of God, the condemnation of God, because you look at creation and you suppress the reality that there is a creator and you should be worshiping him. You're without excuse. You're under condemnation. He goes on in chapter 2 and says, oh, you think there's right and wrong? You think there's morals in this world? And yet you deny that there's a moral lawgiver God Himself, oh, you're under the condemnation of God for your rejection of God as the one who says, this is right and this is wrong. He says, oh, you Jews, yeah, you understand that there's a God and you have all these privileges. You got the law, you got the Old Testament, the Savior came through you, and you think that you can keep the law and be right with God? What arrogant people you only have to violate the law in one point and you're under the condemnation and the justice of God and you're going to experience His powerful wrath. And so he concludes all this in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. We're all under this power of sin deserving the wrath and the justice of God. And then he turns the corner in verse 21, and he begins to talk about the great gift of God's righteousness of salvation in Jesus Christ. The rest of the book's about that. The rest of the book is about this amazing power of God to save people from God's righteous wrath through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, 
Many of us have memorized Romans 6.23 because it's an amazing capturing of what the whole book is about. If you know it, say it with me. I forgot how it began now. <laughs> For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, I really need you. No kidding, I know that verse well. For the wages of sin, what we deserve because of our sin is death. We deserve nothing to go right in this world. We deserve the power of sin to win in our lives all the time. We deserve people to stab us in the back and to take advantage of us. We deserve a life of experiencing that on this earth, and then we deserve physically dying. And then we deserve, on the other side of physical death, eternal death, where we will spend eternity paying for our rejection of the gospel of Christ and the power that saves. That's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. But oh, what's the gift of God? The gift of God is eternal life. Not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's the rest of the book of Romans, where it describes how a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which it calls justification, a one-time event, how that justification leads to a life of continually being transformed more into the likeness of Christ, and the gospel brings a person into a relationship with Christ, and the ongoing proclamation of the gospel to those who have been justified helps them to experience the power of God of saving them from particular sins, whether it's lust or whether it's gossip or whether it's whatever it happens to be, stealing or bad attitudes or ungratefulness. The power of God uh, just saves us, keeps saving us from these areas of our life throughout our Christian life and wherever we're at in that process. If we've been justified, when we take our final breath, we are glorified and experience the perfections of being with Christ forever and ever. Oh, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel can change everything for a person. And the book of Romans is so clear about that. Why are we debtors? Because people won't know unless they're told. People don't know this. They don't know it. They don't know that they're under the wrath of God, and they don't know they can be saved from the wrath of God and experience the other extreme. So go over to ch chapter 10, where Paul states the obvious for us. Let's just jump into verse 11 there. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. That has got to be one of the great understatements in all of Scripture. <laughs> Man, He gives more than we could ever imagine. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. doesn't make any difference who you are. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. 
Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear Him without a preacher? Now, I'm not asking you to do anything heretical here, but if you read preacher and you think someone like me, scratch that out and just put in there, how will they hear without a teller? How will they hear unless someone tells them? How will they hear unless someone is organizing their life to tell other people about Jesus? They can't function. They can't believe in something they haven't been told. They can't call upon Him unless they're given something to believe. And so people will not believe unless they are told. And so we have to be eager to tell. We have to see ourselves as debtors to people because they don't know. They don't know. They just don't know. Just as I didn't know for so long. Now go on down to verse 16 because here's a good gut check. However, they did not all heed the good news. And it quotes from Isaiah. Lord, who has received our report? Nevertheless, or so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Nevertheless, if they are going to believe, they have got to hear the words of Christ. And so we're eager to tell, always with this understanding, not all will heed the good news, but some will. So why don't those of us that have been miraculously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, why don't we just keep this as a top priority of our lives? Well, I came up with a long list of excuses, but uh, rather than going through them and reinforcing them, let me tell you something that we're trying to do here. I shouldn't say we're trying to do it. We are doing this because one of the things I've realized um, is that most of us just have to stay in a group of people where we keep talking about this and we keep encouraging people, each other in this and we just keep staying accountable to this great priority in our lives. And, um, and so last year uh, I offered to anybody who wanted to to participate in a Sunday morning classes at Calvary or in a uh, life group on Tuesday nights twice a month, and about 20, 25 of you jumped into that. Uh, this year, we're taking it to the next level, and we're going to offer it again on Sunday morning and offer it on, in life groups. And so I want to just lay this out for you in a very practical way, and I want to do it along with encouraging you concerning your involvement in a life group. So here we're going to get very pragmatic for a few minutes and just uh, walk through some of this. Um, so our life groups are composed to have these different elements, and they look different in the different life groups. Uh, scripture is always a part of it. Praise is always a part of it. Engaging and prayer, there you can see uh, three of those uh, emphases. Uh, some groups have outside work where you read something. Some do not. Um, and all of our life groups have some element of reaching out. Um, but the outreach often kind of falls off by the wayside. 
And, uh, and so what we're doing this year is we're also, in addition to our regular life groups, we're going to offer cohort life groups. Now, typically what we do for Bible in the cohort life groups is a discovery Bible study. The reason we do discovery Bible studies is because we want it to become second nature to us so that we'll do it with people who have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We just want it to be second nature. Um, there will be outside work in uh, the cohort life groups, not a lot, but some. And here's the big difference. This is the entire focus of the cohort life groups, is, is to reach out, to reach out, to reach out, to reach out. And so every time a cohort life group meets, uh, we'll talk about and have a place to say, this is who I got to share with, this is who I got to disciple, this is how it didn't go anyplace, this is how it did go someplace, and whatever, and this is what I'm committing to between now and the next time we meet. And, and so what we're saying is those other things will happen, but this is the core. This will happen. This is the big ball, if you will. This will happen, and the other stuff have to, make, have to fit in. But this will happen. And so for those who just want to cultivate more of this and realize you just need more interactions and more chances to talk and more chances to be held accountable on this, uh, the cohort life group would be a really good place for you to plug in. Now, let me tell you what's going on with our life groups. This is our regular life groups, and we're going to ask you to sign up for a life group as you walk out of here this morning, okay? Now, don't freak out because you're not signing a contract. You're just saying, we're interested. We think this is true, and then the life group leaders will follow up with you to see whether that's really true. But life groups are part of what is so crucial for our growing and becoming like Jesus. So here's our regular life groups. Uh, Monday, Doug and Deandra are taking over the group. And Phil and Erica have led for so long. You'll see why in just a moment, because Phil and Erica are going to lead another one of our cohort life groups. Camilla does the women's group on Tuesday morning. Uh, Bob and Carol Green do one on Tuesday night. Uh, Ed does one for men in uh, Wednesday mornings. Paul and Sonia Walker do one on Wednesday nights for ESL. Now, let me just make a comment about this. If you, can, if you speak English well, you're not invited, okay? It's for those who are seeking to learn English and combining it with discipling them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's why, because most of us that speak English well muck the whole thing up, okay? So if you know somebody where they're trying to learn English, you're welcome to bring them there, introduce them, and leave, okay? <laughs> Is that too strong? I may have said it stronger than they would have said it. But anyway, I think that's the point, okay? Uh, Thursdays, uh, Dennis and Donna Davies, all uh, Friday night at the DeRokes, and then Amplify Friday night, 6.30 to whenever. Huh? Yeah, one, two, three, four. So anyway, uh, anyway, five. Okay, sorry I stopped too soon there. So there's our regular life groups, and we would just ask. So those are life groups. Uh, here's our cohort life groups. And uh, so these are all new groups that are forming. Ed and Robin are going to lead one on Wednesday nights. Uh, Phil and Erica are going to lead one, and Dave and Sherry are going to lead one on Thursdays. Okay, so want to ask all of us to sign up as we walk out today for either one of these, 
or one of these, okay? Again, if you're thinking about it, sign up for what you think is the best option because you know how this works. If you don't do something today, you'll end up being in 2021, okay? So just sign up. You're not committing anything to blood. Just sign up. Now, there is another option if you want to be in one of these life groups and you want to cultivate this, we're going to offer the classes at Calvary. And so uh, the Amplified group has got one already going on with Susie and Justin leading that. And we'll begin one for all others beginning March 1st. And so you may say, I want to be in a regular life group, but I, I need to cultivate this. You can do it in the Sunday morning class format. Okay? Is that clear as mud? You get the point? We want you in a life group? Say yes if you do. Otherwise, I have to go through the whole thing again. Okay? And I really say that for your good. You know, I shared last week how I had things I needed to grow out of and grow into Christ, and we jumped into the church in uh, Georgia, which was so good. But I jumped into the men's group uh, early uh, Wednesday mornings with a pastor, and Camilla and I jumped into a life group, and I can tell you so much of our transformation took place right there, and still is, quite frankly. Still is. So, it's crucial. Okay, so... We come to the Lord's Supper, and it's a reminder of why do we do all this? Why do we do this? Because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Amen? What He's done on our behalf. We don't tell other people so that we can get closer to God. No, we can't get any closer to God because of what He has done on our behalf. I mean, it is the, the good news that, that brings us into the fullness of the salvation, of bringing us into a relationship with Christ, growing us more in that salvation until the day we take our final breath and entering into glory. And so here's the reminder that God has given us in the Lord's Supper. And so uh, the men are going to service the elements. We'll partake together because uh, it doesn't make any difference whether you're a Jew or you're a Greek or you're a barbarian. It's a common work of God's grace into our lives. So let me just ask you to bow your heads as the men prepare to serve us and just speak out in your hearts declarations of gratefulness and praise to God and for who He is. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, it tells us that he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, which is in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And so we share this this morning and we partake individually as a reminder of what Christ has accomplished and how it has brought the 
infinite power of God to bear in our lives and how it's moved us from a place of experiencing the power of His wrath to experiencing the power of His salvation. So as you, as the men pass the elements, and as you hold them, would you just spend some time thanking the Lord and blessing Him for this great power of salvation that comes to us through Christ. Men, if you'll go ahead and serve us, please. Thank you.